to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of global trends, issues, and developments in future fuels and vehicles. Are you looking for real insight and analysis from the industry's top experts? Are you trying to stay ahead of the curve and read the tea leaves on future fuels and vehicles issues? Are you one of those people figuring out how to make it happen? Then you're in the right place. My name is Tammy Klein, and with me today is Alan Schaefer, the Executive Director of the Diesel Technology Forum. We're going to talk about diesel and the future of diesel. Alan, thank you so much for being with us today. It's, it's great to have you. Great to be here, Tammy. Thank you. So I'm going to get right into it, and I want to talk about diesel. And the first question that I have for you, it's, it's really a, a series of questions, but uh, something caught my eye in June, uh, a statement from Volkswagen in both Forbes uh, quoting Der Spiegel, a uh, German newspaper, reporting the following. And I'm going to read the statement first and then um, ask you a couple questions. If Volkswagen is not quite at its end, then at least the diesel is, Volkswagen CEO Matthias Mueller signaled in an interview with Germany's Handelsblatt. Quote, at some point in time, there will be the question of whether we should continue to invest a lot of money into the future development, further development of the diesel powertrain, Mueller said. To clean the diesel exhaust will become involved and expensive, Mueller told the Handelsblatt. Actually, it is already involved and expensive to build exhaust treatment that works reliably in all traffic, and not just when the car is on the test bench. Volkswagen has already stopped the sales of all diesel models in the U.S., quote, a completely open question as to whether Volkswagen will offer diesel models in America ever again, writes Der Spiegel. Mueller also expects that at some point diesel fuel could not be as tax advantaged as it currently is in Europe. So my question to you, I think a lot of people are wondering, is... What short and long and long-term impacts do you see for diesel globally, at least for passenger cars, as a result of the issues that Volkswagen has experienced, so-called dieselgate, or at least the gap between real-world and certified emissions? So we'll, we'll start with that. I think it's pretty clear that Europe, which has had a market share of diesels uh, at on average, about 50% of all new vehicle purchases had a diesel engine over the last 12, 13 years or so, on average, in some countries even as high as 70%, that those, those percentages will be, will be declining somewhat. And I think there's really two things behind that. First of all, as, as you alluded to in that, um, in that story, there are going to be an elimination of some of the tax advantages on fuel that enable diesel to gain such market share in Europe. And I think that that is you know being expedited as a result of of this situation here. But I think it was you know something that was also in the works uh, really for for some time even before that. So the tax advantage, and if those not familiar, um, basically at its peak, diesel was getting about a dollar a gallon, U.S. dollar I should say, um, advantage over gasoline in Europe. So the economics were were very simple for uh, for consumers in Europe, and that is that the fuel will cost you less. And the car generally costs less and lasts a long time, very reliable technology. And that really is the thing that really drove diesel to where it is today. So I think there's, there's a, a pretty strong trend that's, that that specific fuel tax advantage is, is, is going away, um, no question about it, if for no other reason than economics. But this situation um, has certainly hastened that along. The other thing that's, that's really coming into play here, of course, is that we've had some major movement on global climate uh, treaty, I shouldn't say treaty, but agreement, in Paris last year. And that has motivated a number of European countries in particular to uh, move ahead with some 
approaches to reducing uh, future emissions of CO2, and some of that involves providing a lot of incentives um, for electric vehicles. And the limitation of uh, the operation of older vehicles in some city centers. And so they're, they're starting to erect some barriers and things that would um, preclude the operation of some older diesel vehicles, especially in, in some of the downtown areas in Paris and, and probably London as well. That's not to say that newer technology diesels would not necessarily be allowed in those areas, but at this point it's, it's, it's pretty clear that they're focusing on um, the older technologies. So that creates creates a, an issue for people that have diesel cars today and those that might be thinking about them for the future. Um, secondly, this in the incentives for these other technologies is, is, is coming on not as quite as hard and fast as it has in the U.S., but you certainly see the development of, of, uh, of that in Europe. And you see some competitive interest from some of the, uh, the Asian manufacturers um, trying to step up their game on hybrids and convince Europeans that that's the way to go, um, as well as electric. So you know, I think it's it's reasonable to say that it didn't take you know um, just a year or two for diesels to gain over 50% market share in Europe, and it's not going to take um, you know a year or two for that to to go away. I think this is going to play out over a longer term, and we'll have to see really where this is at at a one-year, three-year, and five-year uh, kind of period to really understand what the what the impacts have been because. If, if you look at the Europeans in terms of CO2, those vehicles are actually achieving their standards quite well. And, and these are ones that are critical in terms of being baked into achieving global climate goals and other things. So I think as um, Matthias Wiesmann from the uh, German automakers has said that um, if, you, if you believe in addressing climate change, then, then you must believe in the diesel and the ability there to reduce CO2 emissions and efficiency. So you, you really can't can't get there from from a place without um, having diesel as one of your 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 tools. Do you see? I know you said that it was hard to see. You know what the what the long some of the long term impacts are going to be. But do you see a reversal of this dieselization trend that we've seen in Europe that was really fostered by the tax advantages uh, for for diesel in the past? Do you see that reversing, especially as those tax advantages go away? I think it's no question that there, there will be some loss of, of diesel market share there. It hasn't necessarily played out that way in this, what I would say is kind of the early period since this, the situation broke about a year ago now, um, but we'll see. But I think it's, you know, for reasons of the taxes going away, competitive issues with other technologies, and some of these restrictions in, in cities and local areas on the operation of some older diesels, those are the things that will pull down the diesel market share there. And keep in mind, I mean, 50% is, is huge. And for folks in the U.S. here, just by comparison, we are at about 1% uh, in the passenger car space for diesels um, as a percent of new new technology. And if you count the heavy-duty pickup trucks, we make it to 3% and have kind of been there for a long time. So just keep things uh, in, in perspective. So I didn't ask you about this uh, before, but we know that the heavy and medium truck rule came out last week, the greenhouse gas emissions slash, slash emission standards from uh, EPA and NHTSA. And one of the interesting findings from that is that diesel is, while there may be some turnover for passenger cars, I mean, certainly it's a, <laughs> it is the fuel. You will need diesel to comply uh, with that rule, and it's, it's not it's not going away. Can you talk a little bit about the DTF's uh, reaction uh, to that rule, which just was the final rule was just released last week? This is all about you know making these three classes of 
commercial vehicles more more efficient in the future. And this rule goes out to 2027, so we're talking you know a decade plus at this point. And what what's clear in this thing from a diesel perspective is that EPA and NHTSA completely envision this as something that is that the diesel engine is is at the core of this, and certainly a lot of the efficiency gains are coming from total vehicle applications as well as even trailers are now going to be part of this efficiency uh, mandate. But at the end of the day, they recognize that the diesel engine is, is going to pick up its, its efficiency by anywhere from you know a few to 5% more over top of what's already been done for the phase one. And then the additional um, reductions in CO2 emissions and gains in fuel efficiency are going to come from the integration of that engine into the total vehicle. And that how the total vehicle operates will ultimately deliver most of the benefits and efficiency gains and CO2 reductions uh, going forward. So, but they're very clear that, you know, natural gas is, is not envisioned as playing a big role here, and it's not treated that way in the rule, and they envision gains in efficiency in the diesel engine. So I think it, it you know, if, for no, if nothing else, it, it certainly casts forward, you know, a vision that the government has that this technology is here to stay. It's, you know, the global mover of our economy and that's not going to change, at least in the next decade, uh, from from an EPA NHTSA perspective. With respect to to Dieselgate, you know we've we've seen the headlines. You know we've heard about the the settlement. Many of the listeners who are also experts in in this space, you know they've seen it, they've read it, they know about it, and they may even be be involved uh, in um, in some of the issues. But what do listeners, those who really know about the issues, and and actually those who may not know much of anything um, except the word Dieselgate. <laughs> um, they may not even know who it's associated with or what company it's associated with. What do listeners need to know about this issue, you think, that is not really widely known or has not been widely discussed or, or covered in, in the media? This is really not an issue about diesel so much. It's really about an issue of emissions compliance and, in this case, the choices that one company made or shouldn't have made. And in the course of, of getting to that point, I think what has come out that has and will impact everybody going forward, no matter which vehicle that you're manufacturing, certifying to sell, whatever, um, and this is all manufacturers across any kind of fuel or technology, this, this situation I think exposed the, the, the things that we in the industry long knew about, which is that you know, you test and, and certify these vehicles in the lab in one way, and then they go out and get into the hands of customers who use them in many different other ways. And we might expect that the emissions that we calculated so carefully and estimated so well and, and you know, did on a laboratory bench controlled setting would be representative of what happens in the real world. But, you know, surprise, surprise, uh, it's not not always representative of what happens in the real world. So whether you're talking about, you know, gasoline, diesel, whatever, I think there's a real feeling that where we are in this process of understanding emissions and and how we test for them and how we control for them, you know, we've we've sort of cracked open a new chapter in that as a result of this this situation here with uh, with Volkswagen. And that is a whole lot more emphasis on real world emissions. And this, this had been brewing in Europe for over eight years. They were working to try and resolve these kinds of testing procedures, make the procedures more robust, more representative in ways that work for both manufacturers and for the government and for the EU. 
And uh, then the situation with Volkswagen came along and just sort of, you know, threw gasoline into that already smoldering fire. So at the end of the day, what, what, where we come out at on all this is every manufacturer is being held to a lot higher level of scrutiny in terms of their emission certification uh, for their new vehicles, both in the lab and you're going to see a major move forward on some mobile testing and what happens in the real world. And I think that that is going to be the lasting legacy of all this. It's not going to be, you know, so much about what happened in this one manufacturer or, you know, what this did to diesel so much, but it's going to fundamentally um, redirect people's work in the emissions compliance and conformance area in the future. And that has implications for everybody. You've seen a few of these reports already that some manufacturers' product announcements have been delayed because they had to go through additional test procedures and requirements. And all this adds additional time and cost and complexity to manufacturing and producing these vehicles. So I think that's, you know, three, four, five years from now, I mean, there's going to be a lot of uh, better understanding about that than we've ever had before. So I want to move to another topic. Diesel Technology Forum uh, recently engaged the MarTech Group to produce a study about diesel. Can you talk about that study a little bit and what the implications are for trucking, air quality, and climate change mitigation? Those two are, are I think, are huge drivers, air quality, um, air pollution, and, and climate change mitigation, especially with the, the Paris Agreement. There are two stronger drivers than I think ever before in terms of driving cleaner fuels and, and cleaner vehicles. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? And so what we did was to look at both the light duty and heavy duty diesel vehicles that are on the road today in the US and ask ourselves some basic questions about what has the utilization of those vehicles meant in terms of benefits to society in the form of CO two reductions, other emission reductions and benefits the consumer in terms of fuel savings and economics um, as well. So the, the fundamental underpinning of this is that consumers have a choice when they walk into a showroom, and if they're looking for a pickup truck or a passenger car or what have you, they're presented with an option that's a gasoline option or, in increasing number of cases, a diesel option. And those that choose the diesel option are, you know, that's what we're looking at here. What is the What are the advantages that, that they have, that they have received, and what has happened for this population of vehicles that are in use today. And so just uh, I just you know give you some highlights. So basically what you do is we look at how many vehicles, diesel vehicles are on the road today, um, have been on the road since 2005 and 2015 were our, were our time frames. And for those people that you know, they went out and bought the diesel instead of the gasoline, what does that mean? So that means that we've saved about 11 billion gallons of fuel over that time period. Uh, and again, that's that's as if Consumers, if they bought the diesel option instead of the gasoline option, this is what we really have saved because they would have they would have bought the, the gasoline option of some of these vehicles, and you know that is you know no small chunk of change. I mean that is that is pretty significant. And there's about four and a half million light duty diesels on the road, uh, and that works out to be you know 70 million tons of CO2, and all these are huge numbers that are hard to put in perspective. But here's one analogy, and that is that the diesel cars on the road since 2005 to 2015, about 4.5 million, have removed almost 15 million vehicles off the road for one entire year. So that's been the, the benefits in terms of CO2 and, and fuel savings. That's also the same thing as a, you know, things like the power from 18,000 wind turbines 
uh, the energy savings from that. So you can see that the, the inherent um, feature here is the energy efficiency advantage of the diesel. And that's why when we look at these you know, choices for consumers in the marketplace going forward, that diesel is still a very competitive and important option um, because it is so energy efficient. And that's also means low carbon dioxide emissions. So that's that's really what we're talking about in the future. But you know, the passenger cars is a small piece of the pie in the U.S., at least in terms of the, the diesel market, as I mentioned. Only about 3% of the total sales in any given year have, have been diesel, and that's been pretty consistent over a very long time, and that counts the heavy-duty pickup trucks. We also looked at this in terms of the, the savings to, to you know, passenger car owners. I mean, what does it mean actually owning one of these things? And, you know, it means some very practical things, and one of those is, you know, you're going to stop the fuel up less often with the diesel because they get better fuel economy. You know, you're going to reduce your carbon footprint by about four, four and a half metric tons, if you're worried about that, keeping track of that. And if you're the owner of a heavy-duty diesel pickup truck, over the lifetime of your vehicle, you're going to save about five grand in fuel costs and ownership costs for that vehicle. So there are practical benefits both to society and to consumers from, from just the, the, the passenger and pickup trucks. The, the real impact in terms of societal benefits get into those heavy-duty vehicles and these commercial trucks, buses. These are the primary consumers of diesel fuel um, in the U.S. And, you know, one of the things we wanted to do also is to look at the impact of the newer technology, diesel engines making their way into that market. And what we know today is that about 40% of that fleet at the end of last year, this is the end of December 2015, about 40% of the heavy-duty fleet of commercial trucks in the U.S. have engines that are 2007 and newer. So that, that's a pretty good, pretty good number. And 2007 was an important milestone year for introducing near-zero particulate emissions. And then we also know that the same vehicles are saving truckers money, and that translates into saving dollars for the economy and a lower cost of, of delivered goods and that sort of thing. And from 2011 to 2015, these new engines have saved about 29 million tons of CO2 from being produced. And these are comparisons of the new engines versus the old engines that they would have replaced. It's also equivalent to about 7.5 million tons of NOx reduction from the atmosphere. Those are, those are kind of important things for compliance with clean air standards. And, you know, if you just, you know, take a look at the 4.2 4 million heavy-duty diesels over the eight-year period of 07 through 2015, for consumers, the savings has been about 3 billion gallons of diesel that was not consumed because the efficiency gains of these vehicles, 218,000 tons of PM not emitted. And the analogy here is it's like taking the CO2 emissions from about 6.1 light-duty vehicles from the road for one year. So efficiency gains in, in the new technology, diesel engines are significant, and those are going to continue to accrue as truckers invest more in the new technology. So I think it's important to kind of put these things in perspective, and that's why we do this research, because it does have a specific impact on the customer that buys the vehicle, but also, you know, there's a societal benefit here as well, and we want to bring that out.
So here's my question. So you just talked about the benefits, especially from, a, from an air quality, you know, NOx, PM, from a climate change perspective, other societal benefits, um, the efficiency in, in diesel not used, so on and so forth. But what I'm seeing as I'm uh, watching what's happening globally is that uh, there are a lot of regulators out there in different uh, countries. You know, air quality is worsening. PM is a is a is a particular um, problem. We now have these um, stringent Paris Agreement commitments, and there seems to be a real push toward you know electric vehicles, even eventually for trucking, and really you know leaving fuels behind. So I asked you about the future of diesel, but what about the you know, the future of fuels. I mean, and these are serious, you know, serious efforts. I mean, cities are already, you know, banning certain types of diesel vehicles. There's talks about, you know, electric vehicle mandates, those kinds of things. And, and these are, you know, if I think 10 years ago, I think it would have been, you know, almost laughable because the technology uh, wasn't there. Now the technology is evolving. It is maturing. And there's a real serious, real serious efforts to, you know, to get mandates in place or programs beyond just, you know, casual incentives and HOV lanes and things like that. I mean, it's a real serious concerted effort that's really driven by air pollution and by Paris Agreement commitments. So my question to you is, are fuels, are fuels over? Or how do you see it in light of what you just talked about with the MarTech group study? And how do you balance that against, you know, some of these efforts that are ongoing in, in the U.S. and, and Europe and, and even parts of Asia? You know, what, what we have invested in the U.S. over the last decade is in the fundamental transformation of diesel to a technology that, that is now ready for the future. And what I mean by that is that we've, we've virtually eliminated the emissions that were of a concern in the U.S. over the last decade plus, um, things like nitrogen oxides that contribute to smog formation, things like particulate matter that you mentioned. Um, and that's been because of the advanced engine and emissions control technology and the introduction of ultra-low sulfur diesel fuel in the U.S. in 2006. So that has laid the groundwork for manufacturers to fundamentally transform diesel to a technology today that has none of the issues of smoke, soot, pollution that you're talking about in some of these other places um, here in the U.S. today. And we, we have now a, a diesel technology that is, that is super clean and in some parts of the U.S. operating these vehicles. The air is dirtier uh, going into the vehicle than it is coming out. And, you know, it, it's in California today, and I'll just, just throw this, this nugget out there, this is kind of an interesting thing as we watch the summer fade away here, that you're getting more particulate emissions from grilling a one-third pound hamburger than you are from driving a heavy-duty diesel truck 141 miles. So um, the, the progress we've made has been you know, pretty amazing. And so we've now set the stage for the future. And what does the future look like with, you know, diesel is still the prime mover of the global economy. And that's, you know, over 90% of all trucks, over 90% of all off-road machines and equipment, um, you know, whether it's on the water, uh, moving by train, what have you. I mean, diesel is, is really the, the power of work. And it, has, it had to transform to be around in the future, and it, and it has here in the U.S. I think that from a global point of view, the situation has to be taken on a country-by-country -country basis. 
And what we need to have in, in other places is a move towards cleaner fuels. And cleaner fuels get you more advantages um, right away. And that's the ultra-low sulfur diesel thing is, is the perfect example of that. And we could achieve these near-zero levels in other parts of the world if there was a broad penetration of the cleaner fuel. Absent, absent a broad penetration of ultra-low sulfur diesel, the industry has, has now you know, understood and had a good amount of experience with biofuels. So we start to see that not only can diesel engines use you know, blends of 5% or some up to 20%, now we're seeing a whole discussion about a second generation, if you will, kind of 100% renewable diesel fuel that's made from waste animal fats and waste food processing that is a drop-in hydrocarbon replacement, basically. And it has about 90% better greenhouse gas emissions than petroleum diesel, and it has virtually none of the emissions concerns at all, of even of the newer generation, uh, the cleanest diesels around with, with the advanced emission control. So what we see is a technology that has transformed with its efficiency still inherent in it, with the ability now to, to minimize emissions production, and the ability to use these renewable fuels that I think are going to be increasingly part of, uh, part of the conversation. So I think, you know, for diesel, it's... Um, you know, the future is, looks good because we're, we're at a point now where we've got the technology as, as super clean. And now we're, we're back to focusing on efficiency. And that is, you know, you look at the Paris Climate Atream, uh, Agreement, what, is the, uh, what are the top three things that the U.S. commits to get there? One is the clean power plan. Two is the light-duty vehicle fuel economy requirements, which envision more diesel vehicles, I should say. And three is the heavy-duty truck rule, which you just mentioned, which also is premised on the idea of gains in efficiency from heavy-duty commercial vehicles, mostly powered by diesel engines. So what you have is, is policies that, you know, uh, have, some policies have forced diesel to, to make major improvements in, in, in the emissions, and we've done that, and now we're really talking about efficiency, and the diesel is, is perfectly suited in that conversation. In fact, that's always been... The, the great advantage of diesel that it's you know 30 percent more energy efficient than a comparable gasoline engine just because of the inherent you know uh, about what, about 10 percent of that energy advantage comes from the the fuel and about 20 percent of the advantage comes from the uh, the combustion process the diesel being more efficient so I think we're perfectly suited for the future I think you know on a global basis diesel is important for developing countries economies around the world everything from you know, powering uh, generators now that are part of microgrids. And this is a really interesting story where you take a diesel generator, combine it with solar and or wind, some storage and a controller, and you've got a situation where you can have, you know, you can be off the grid from a, a, main, a main power plant and be self-sustaining. And so that's, you know, kind of an interesting model for some parts of India and other places that, you know, long to get, you know, move forward into the, the mainstream of, of modern technology and, and things like basic electricity and plumbing and infrastructure that we all become accustomed to. So diesel can be part of that, and it can be part of that future where, you know, we're talking about wind turbines and solar. But sometimes those things don't always work, and, you know, you need to have that reliable electricity. And in some cases, that might come from a diesel engine in some parts of the country. We're, we're certainly not advocating that for, you know, for the U.S., I think. You know, but it's an example of how diesel as a technology is, is you know, being integrated 
into some of these advanced sustainable um, platforms of microgrids, for example. And when you start thinking about what's happening in the U.S. and, and the cities of San Francisco, cities of Oakland, uh, Walnut Creek, Carlsbad, and just last week the Sacramento County have converted their entire fleets of municipal vehicles from rolling on petroleum diesel to 100% renewable diesel fuel. And, you know, overnight they have a change in their carbon footprint and, you know, their um, ability to help, you know, reduce emissions um, in their area. So those are the kinds of flexibilities that the diesel engine provides and has available. And I think you're going to see more leveraging of that kind of uh, unique attributes of the diesel to use more renewable fuels um, to improve its efficiency, whether we're talking passenger cars or or commercial trucks or, or you know, farm tractors and, and uh, construction equipment, another area of, of, of opportunity. So, you know, there's there's this economy needs to, to keep moving forward. And, you know, there's some days in the media I think you read about, you know, enough renewable stories you feel like, you know, it, it's a wave that's coming down the street. You know, they're just going to convert everything in your in your world next. And it, you know, really doesn't work that way. I mean, it's it's all about making incremental progress, but ensuring that we can move forward and make progress. And so you need things that are reliable and proven and available. And the diesel is all of that and more. And it's a great testament to everybody that works in, in the industry to that have we've made diesel fuels a lot cleaner. We've got the technology to to near zero levels of emissions now. So, you know, that's um, that's the way forward. It's interesting what you're you're saying just to to as we conclude here. I was reading a study last week about self-driving uh, cars and car sharing and that we could actually, you know, meet 87% of our travel needs with those kinds of car car sharing services, car, sh- you know, just whatever. But what about that 13%, you know, when we go on vacation and we're driving and the range isn't there? And what the authors of the study suggested is that, well, you know, actually there's a role for the internal combustion engine for fuels to play even as electric vehicle technology, it evolves, it becomes more commercial, uh, people are attracted, people, you know, people want to buy it, but yet there's still a role for um, clean internal combustion engine and clean fuels to play as well because that's your back, that's going to be in the future your backup. We're never probably, at least not in the next, you know, maybe 25 to 30 years, we're not going to be 100% electric with 100% solar. We're going to need natural gas as sort of the backup for wind and solar. We're going to need the internal combustion engine, at least for passenger cars, um, as sort of that as sort of that backup. And it seems like what the authors are saying in the study is a little bit similar to what you're saying, that there is a role, a sustained long-term role uh, for diesel, clean diesel, clean diesel technology and fuels to play, you know, for um, heavy trucking, but also in the passenger car um, market as well. Maybe not as much in the U.S. because it's so small, but in other places where they're certainly a lot more reliant on diesel passenger cars. So it's it's interesting. Let's look at the makeup of vehicles in the U.S. And the top-selling vehicles in the U.S. for a long time have been pickup trucks. And, you know, fundamentally, that is something we need to keep in mind, that, you know, Americans demand, need, utilize, and buy these kinds of vehicles. And making those more efficient is is what's going on right now. And manufacturers are bringing out technologies that, uh, you know, and we've got, for example, a new 
GMC Canyon Chevy Colorado diesel-powered pickup truck that gets 40 miles a gallon on the highway. The only diesel vehicle got, that got the, uh, the greener cars rating for, for, last, uh, for its most current period last year. And so, you know, we've got the technology. We're, we're pushing hard on greater fuel efficiency. So, you know, I think we're, we're doing the smart things. We're trying to use our existing technologies more efficiently. We're, we're pushing them as far as we can. And, you know, for some electric vehicles might make sense. And obviously for some people, no vehicles are making sense because their lifestyle, you know, just makes that choice. But for the vast majority of everybody else, you know, we all want choices. And uh, that's really what's really the foundation of, of, uh, of the U.S. here is having those choices. And, you know, we are convinced here that diesel is going to be one of those choices for the long run. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Alan Schaefer so much for being on the show today. It was a really interesting conversation. For the listeners, please do us a favor before you go and head over to iTunes and rate this podcast. This is huge for us in terms of improving our ranking in iTunes and keeping the show visible so that other people can discover you, as discover it. Thank you so much ahead of time for helping us out. And if you're looking for more insight and analysis on low-carbon fuels, vehicles, issues, and trends, sign up for my free weekly newsletter at futurefuelsstrategies.com. Again, thanks so much, Alan. Really appreciate your time. And that's the show. 